You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. All right, good evening. I don't know if you guys want to go ahead and take your seats and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. We're continuing our study of the Ten Commandments, and tonight we're looking at the Fourth Commandment. Uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, this commandment is one of the most hotly debated of the Ten Commandments. I would also argue that it's the most often ignored and neglected of the Ten Commandments as well. Uh, Today, the vast majority of evangelical Christians argue that the Fourth Commandment, or Sabbath principle, I'll use those terms interchangeably this evening, the majority of evangelical Christians today argue that the Fourth Commandment has no relevance to the Christian. Many people argue that this commandment was only for the Jews under the Old Covenant or under the Mosaic Covenant. And this kind of view came about because of a form of theology called dispensationalism. Right? And in the American church today, it's arguably the most popular lens that people use to understand the Bible. Right? Dispensationalism is a way that people understand. It's called a hermeneutic. It's a lens they use to interpret the Bible. Um, it's the most popular in America, and it's also only like 100, 120 years old, so do with that what you will. Um, But dispensationalism maintains that Israel and the church are absolutely distinct from one another and that there is basically no continuity between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Right? That there's no real continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And because of that view, uh, people that believe dispensationalism generally say things like this. Unless a commandment in the Old Testament is explicitly repeated in the New Testament, then it has no hold on believers. You guys have heard that before? Unless a command gets repeated, then it has no ground for you. Um, I think that that view has some serious problems and should be rejected. Uh, though, Though the Old Covenant and New Covenant have some distinctions from one another, the biggest one being that the New Covenant is made up of only believers. The Old Covenant was a mixed covenant of believers and unbelievers. Uh, though there are distinctions... There, there is not, or there is much, not all, but much that carries over between the Old and New Covenants. One thing in particular that carries over between them is the law of God as summarized in the Ten Commandments. That would then mean that this commandment to keep the Sabbath has implications on the church. All right? Now, I fully recognize that for many of us, the idea of Christians having to keep the Fourth Commandment is new and sounds really weird. Right? I get that. That's what I thought for a really long time as well. And to some of you, maybe this sounds like a form of legalism, right? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know, Jesus set us free from the Jewish law. And you, David, in saying that I have to keep the Sabbath, are trying to put us back under the, bond, under the bondage of the law by saying that we have to keep the Sabbath. I, I want to promise you something before we go any further. That is not what I'm trying to do. I hate legalism. I hate legalism with a burning fury of a thousand suns, right? I hate legalism. Legalism is anti-gospel and shows a lack of respect for the word of God because you would add to the scriptures. I hate legalism, but what I do love is the law of God. Right? Read Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. Right? I do love the law of God. And all, all of God's people, all Christians everywhere love God's law. And I want all of God's people to walk in obedience to that law. 
right? And I, and I want us to do so not because we're trying to save ourselves by obeying the fourth commandment or obeying any of God's commandments, but because we have already received salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now out of hearts of gratitude, we want to walk in obedience to God's law, right? That is not legalism. That is proper, right? And I think sometimes whenever people tell you, obey God's law, we're very quick to say that they're legalists whenever it's, it's not a legalistic thing to say that God's law is good not to be obeyed. But I spoke with someone earlier this week uh, about this commandment uh, and some of the arguments and debates surrounding the fourth commandment. And they looked at me and they said, does this really matter? <laughs> right? Does it really matter that much? And let me just say something real quick about that. Yes. <laughs> right? Absolutely. This commandment matters a lot. Right? One thing that we can never say as God's people is that anything God has commanded or anything found in the scriptures doesn't really matter. We can never say that. And I'm not denying that there are weightier and lesser matters of the law. Our Lord said that himself, right? But all of God's word matters to the believer, right? So we should take this commandment seriously and look into it and see how it applies to Christians. If I don't have your attention yet, just know this. God talks about the Sabbath, I think, over 150 times in the Old Testament. More than any other of the Ten Commandments, God mentions his Sabbaths. It's also one of the only commandments that if you broke, you could be stoned to death. So this commandment really, really, really matters to God. It's important to him, and we shouldn't ignore it, right? Furthermore, it wouldn't be in the Ten Commandments, otherwise known as the foundational law of God, that is, that is to govern the people of God if it didn't really matter, right? So the, just the fact that it's in the Ten Commandments should tell us that it's important. And I know that much of the material in this sermon is going to be challenging uh, to, to most of us. Right? It's going to make us think and make us reevaluate things that we've thought for a long time about the fourth commandment. You know, growing up, I always thought those old people who wouldn't mow their lawn or go out to eat on Sunday were crazy. <laughs> I really did. I thought they were nuts. They would mention the Sabbath, and that sounded so foreign and strange to me. And some of you um, may look at me at some point this evening and think that, that what I'm talking about sounds archaic, right? or, or maybe even fanatical. Um, but listen... The question is not, what have we always done? And the question is not, how was I raised? And the question is not, what am I comfortable with? The question is, what does God say in his word? That's the question. The question is, what is God's revealed will for us in the fourth commandment? Now, I won't have time this evening to go through every single potential question or scenario that may arise in light of this commandment, right? But my list is to show you guys a, a few things this evening. Um, the first thing, I want, to, I want us to see what this commandment teaches and why. The second, that this commandment is binding on the Christian. Third, that the Sabbath was changed from Saturday to Sunday under the New Covenant. Fourth, I want us to see how the Lord's Day is good for us. And then lastly, we're going to look at what we are to do and abstain from on the Lord's Day, otherwise known as the Christian Sabbath. And spoiler alert, I'm not going to give you a list. <laughs> I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not going to give you a list. But what I am going to do is give you principles that are to guide this day. All right? So you can see, you guys are going to feel like you've drunk from a fire hose today because we have a lot of material to go through, a lot, lot, lot of stuff. But in all of this, my prayer has been all this week that, is that we would all come to see the beauty of the Lord's day and how much of a blessing it is for God to give us a command for six days of work and one day of rest and worship. Right? I want you to see the beauty in this command, because if we see this commandment as beautiful, then it won't seem strange to you. 
If you see God's law as beautiful, you'll want to obey it. And that's my goal this evening. Uh, because there's much blessing for us in keeping God's law. Right? But Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, we need your help. We need your help if we're going to understand your word. And, and the work before us of looking at this commandment is difficult and we cannot do it on our own. So please, help us to be engaged with your word, to pay attention, and to think deeply. As we sang earlier, please teach us. Teach us your word and give us hearts to obey what it says. Your word is good. Your law is good. And your law is a joy to us now that we are in Christ and have been saved by faith. So please help us, God, to see that the Lord's day is a delight for the people of God. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so let's start uh, by just walking through the commandment and seeing what it's telling us and the principles that it gives. And I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be straight with you. I'm going to be blasting through a lot of this material, right? So just... Do your best to follow along. Theology requires us to use our brains. So that's what we're going to do this evening. We don't just come to church in autopilot. We come to church and think. Right? But walking through this passage, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, Sabbath means to cease. Right? Oftentimes, different forms of that word uh, Shabbat, Sabbath, is translated rest. But it means to cease from some kind of a work. To cease from working. Uh, so there is a day here in verse 8 that we are to remember or observe, and it's a day of ceasing from our labors. And we're to keep this day holy. If, now, if something is holy, it's set apart and unique from other things, right? Specifically, it's set apart for a special use or a sacred use. So here we see this command from God that there is a day of ceasing from our work, and it's a day that is unlike the rest of the week, right? It's holy, and, and not that any day is intrinsically special, but what the day is for is special. So the day is holy in that sense. And when something is set apart for sacred use, when it's holy, then generally speaking, when we see that word combined or, or put together with something in the Old Testament, then that thing that is holy is used for worship. So what we have so far just in verse 8 is that there is a day for the people of God that we are to regard as different from the other days. And it's a special day, a day of rest in a day of worship. Verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work. I heard a preacher say that the, this, command, or this verse is the third and a half commandment. Right? He said that because we see tucked into the fourth commandment, into this Sabbath commandment, a part to the commandment where we're actually told to work. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Right? So God is actually commanding us to work and to work hard, to be diligent and our labors, right? So the six days that come before the Sabbath are to be days that we spend being productive. And this is a really good reminder for us, especially in American culture. It's a good reminder for us that being lazy and being idle and wasting all of our time on recreation is a sin. 
Wasting your time and not being productive is sinful. It's not being a good steward of the time and life that God has given to you. Not that there's not time for rest and recreation, but to be lazy is sinful. Right? We're to be productive. And I understand that productivity is going to be different for different people depending on your vocation, right? whether you work from the home or whether you have a job that you go out to, right? depending on your job and what you're physically able to do. I understand some people aren't able to do some things. But the point is that these six days leading into the Sabbath are to be as productive as we can make them, right? We're to get our affairs in order on these six days, to go to our jobs and work hard as if we're working for the Lord. And we are because God's the one who's commanded us to be diligent for six days, right? We're to, we're to take care of and be good stewards of our resources on these days. We're to take care of our homes and do all the chores that we need to do in order to make sure everything goes smoothly in our homes on these days, the six days leading into the Sabbath are to be days where we clean, do our housework, go to school, uh, do our homework, and do the everyday business of life to make a living and provide for our families. Right? Six days you shall labor and do all your work. And just real quick, if, if your knee-jerk against the Sabbath command is that it sounds harsh, that you're told to cease from working, uh, just consider the kindness of God in this verse. God would have been completely within his rights to say, one day you shall labor and six days you shall devote to rest and worship. And if he would, have, he would have been within his rights. He's God. Does he not deserve whatever he asks for? Or rather, whatever he commands. He doesn't ask for anything. He commands. But God would have been just to do that. And if he would have done that, it would have been basically impossible for us to do anything to just survive as humans. Right? So God shows that he's sympathetic towards us as finite human beings in that he gives us six days to do whatever it is that we need to get done. Right? So I just want to draw that out so you can see that the Sabbath is not meant to be a burden on you. Right? What it's meant to be is a break from the ordinary work of life. Right? And God wants you to do well, so he gives you six days to work and do whatever it is that you need to do. But moving on to verse 10. But the seventh day, Six days, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Right? But the seventh day. So don't glance over that. So over against the six days that we have to work and do everything that we need to do, we have a special day. Again, a day of ceasing. And it's specifically called a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Right? That means, as we've seen before, that this day is a day that is focused to or towards God. It's a, another way you could say it is the Sabbath day is a Godward day. It's a day that we're to be especially focused on and direct our attention towards God, which tells us, again, in the commandment itself, that this day is a day of worship. Right? So that, that, that's the purpose of the day, really. Worship and rest. In fact, the rest, the ceasing on that day, is meant to facilitate our worship. Right? It just makes sense. If we're going to be able to devote the day to God, then we're going to have to take time off. We're going to have to be free from our ordinary work, right? ordinary work of life. So that's what God has done on the Sabbath day. He frees us from our ordinary labors for the express purpose that we might rest our bodies and focus on him. Right? Now, if you're still not sold on the idea of worship, just one last thing. This commandment certainly applies to acts of private worship, right? where you'd worship in your home with your families or by yourself. But this Sabbath command uh, specifically applies to corporate worship, what we're doing right now, the assembled people of God together. And if you don't see that in this commandment, I get it. But Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3 says, Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. 
Right? This is where we get the idea that we're to assemble together on God's appointed day to worship together as the people of God. Right? A holy convocation. You guys know the convo right, in Athens where people gather to watch basketball? A convocation is a gathering of people. And, and God says in Leviticus 23 that the Sabbath day is a holy convocation, which means the people of God, a set-apart people on a set-apart day, gather together. That's corporate worship. Right? So that's where we get this idea of corporate worship. But now we come to what is prohibited on the Sabbath day, also in verse 10. What is prohibited? On it, on the Sabbath, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. That's pretty all-encompassing. Right? We aren't to work. We aren't to make anyone else work either. Right? Even slaves were to have this day off to rest and worship the true and living God. But again, we're not to work. Why? Because God gave us six days to get everything done that we needed to do, and this day is to be special. I want you to see that. God gave us six days that we might rest and worship on the other. And again, we're not to make anyone else work either as much as it depends upon us we are to help other people and promote other people to observe the sabbath as well right we're to promote the, their rest and their worship of god and hear me out whether they will or will not worship god and rest doesn't matter we are not to do anything that would keep others from resting and worshiping god on his appointed day right this would mean that employers are to give their employees the sabbath off Right, because that's the closest thing that we have, closest relationship we have to the slave-master relationship. Employers should not work their employees. Parents shouldn't make their children do any unnecessary chores on this day either. And by extension of all of this, not making someone else work, we aren't to engage in the vast majority of commerce on the Sabbath day. Right? Read the Old Testament. God constantly rebukes his people for doing work and buying and selling grain on the Sabbath. It's a constant rebuke that he gives to his people. So there's to be no business done on the Sabbath. No paying people for services. No hiring stuff done on this day. Right? This commandment even says that your animals are to rest on this day. Right? And in an agricultural society, that makes sense. And that's primarily who this was at, directed to in the first giving of the law. But nobody is to work. Right down to people who aren't really even a part of the nation of Israel. The sojourner who is within your gates. The person who's just dwelling with you for the day. Right? This is anyone, anywhere, so much as it depends upon you, is not to work. So again, this is intentionally broad in its scope. Right? So again, to sum it up, you aren't to do any unnecessary work. And you're not to make anyone else work either. So again, this is meant to be a day of rest and public and private worship of the God of the universe. But what's the reason for the commandment? What's the reason? We see in verse 11, God gives us the reason for this, or one reason of a few. Verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. All right, so God himself, because remember, the Lord, God spoke all these words saying, Right, so this is God speaking here in the fourth commandment. God himself roots this commandment in what he did at creation. Why should we work six days and rest one? Because he created the world in six days and then ceased from his work of creation on the seventh day. And in doing so, God blessed and set that day apart. He blessed that day and made it a holy day. Right, now this tells us something important about this commandment. I want you to keep this in your mind. This commandment is not just rooted to the Jews. 
This commandment is not just rooted to, to Moses. It's rooted in creation. Right? It goes all the way back to creation, even before the covenant of works with Adam was made. So this commandment is a creation ordinance, and it supersedes all covenants for all times. Right? So the fact that this is grounded in the creation tells us that it's not bound to any one covenant. Rather, it's an eternal, moral, ethical principle. And that principle is to rest one in every seven days and devote that day to the worship of God. But the idea here in, in the reasoning in verse 11 is that God gave us an example. Right? He worked six days and then rested the seventh. And here's a question for you to think of, and I didn't think of this. Dr. Richard Barcelos was the one I heard say this. Did it take God six days to create, or did God take six days to create? See the difference there? Did it take him six days, or did he decide to take six days? Now, we would all agree that God could have spoken everything into existence on the first day in the first millisecond, right? He's omnipotent. He could, he could have spoke us all into this room, doing what we're doing right now on that first day in the first millisecond. But what God did was he intentionally took six days to create. This is meant to be an example for us, right, to work six days. And then God rested on the seventh. Now, here's a question for you. Did God get tired? Did God get tired? No, our God neither sleeps nor slumbers, right? He doesn't tire. He is the almighty God. So what he did was he rested in order to give us an example. Theologians call God the divine exemplar in Genesis 1 and 2, right? He sets the example for humanity. Work six and rest one. And we've been made in whose image? The image of God. We've been made to imitate God and reflect his works and reflect his actions and character. And since he is a working and resting God, we are to be a people who work and rest. So this commandment is grounded in God's own actions and in his own character. He works and he rests, and we're to do the same. So to sum up what we've seen in the fourth commandment, in and of itself, is this overarching principle that extends from creation onward. And it's a principle of six days of work and one day dedicated to rest and worship, right? That's the principle we see at creation. And what's happening is it's being reestablished. It's not being introduced for the first time, but it's being reintroduced in the fourth commandment. One in every seven days is devoted to God for rest and worship. But now we come to the question, right? Does this law apply to the church today? Does this Sabbath principle have any place in the new covenant? And it's at this point that people will often say something like this. Show me an explicit verse in the New Testament that says we must keep the Sabbath and I'll do it. I used to take that position. Show me a verse in the New Testament that says I must obey the Sabbath and I, or keep the Sabbath and I will. And while I think that there are two texts in particular, one in Hebrews and one in First or Second Timothy, uh, that might very well allude to the Sabbath being for Christians, I'll say that they're difficult and there's much debate around those passages. Uh, and people who are asking for a New Testament text about the Sabbath are, act, are usually asking for a black and white explicit command that they can just read and not have to think about, right? But hear me out. The idea of I must have an explicit text in order to believe a doctrine is a terrible way to do theology. <laughs> it's a horrible way to do theology. We get what we believe and how we live. We get our doctrine from two different methods. All right, I know we're doing some theology here, so I need you to think with me. We're, we're, we get them from two different methods. One, we get doctrine from explicit texts in the Bible. That's the easy one. And two, we get doctrine from what our confession calls 
things that are necessarily contained in the scriptures, or what the Westminster Confession calls good and necessary consequence, which I like that phrasing better. This means that we get doctrine whenever we look at the whole of scripture and its implications and then work out those implications. Right? Again, good and necessary consequence. Let me give you an example of something that you believe that's not black and white found in the scripture, but you believe is necessarily contained in the scripture. The Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity. There is no explicit verse that tells us that God is a Trinity. You won't find one. There is one God in three co-equal persons. But when we read scripture, we see that there is only one God, that the Father is God, that Jesus Christ is God, and that the Holy Spirit is God. Therefore, it is necessarily contained in the scriptures that God is a Trinity, that there is one God in three persons. We actually get quite a few core doctrines of the faith this way. Right, good and necessary consequence is a legitimate way that we get doctrine. So we don't need an explicit text to tell us to keep the Sabbath. We don't need an explicit New Testament text to keep the Sabbath. It just has to be strongly implied that the fourth commandment carries over into the New Testament. Right, so for the sake of time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three or four very short, very simple arguments to show you that the Sabbath principle carries over from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Right? And there are more arguments than these that are better than what I'm going to tell you and that are deeper, but, but for the sake of time, these ought to be sufficient for what I'm trying to establish this evening. So why should we believe that the fourth commandment carries over into the New Testament? Well, first, as we saw in the fourth commandment itself, the commandment is grounded in creation. It's a creation ordinance. And since God roots the ground for the command in creation, that means that it's bigger than just the Old Covenant. All right? I already made this point. I just want to make it again. Since it's rooted in creation, it's bigger than just the Mosaic Covenant. It's for all time. Not only that, but we see a couple of examples in the New Testament where things that were instituted at creation have moral and ethical implications for all people in all times. Right? So I'm going to show you there's things that we believe that are rooted in things God instituted and did at creation. And I'm arguing that we should view the Sabbath the same way. Example number one. God's institution of marriage being between a man and a woman for life is rooted in something he instituted at creation. Matthew chapter 19 verses 4 through 8. The Lord Jesus refers to Genesis and says God did this then so it stays the same now. A second example. Men having headship in their homes and therefore having headship in the church as pastors is rooted in the fact that God made Adam and then made Eve from Adam. That's what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. And that didn't go away. So again, ethical, moral principles that we're to abide by today are established in the Old Testament. Primarily marriage and headship are two other examples we see in the New Testament explicitly. So the Sabbath being instituted at creation tells us that it's bigger and more long-lasting than any one particular covenant. It's until the world ends. Therefore, the Sabbath principle is for Christians under the new covenant. Not only that, but in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man. It was made for man. In Genesis, God made man on day 6 and then made the Sabbath on day 7. Right? The Sabbath was God's gift to mankind. Right? His gift to man, his gift to mankind. And all of this before any kind of covenant was established. 
And this gift continues to belong to man even after the fall. Right? So just like God gave marriage to mankind and let him keep it after the fall, God also gave the Sabbath to man and allowed him to keep it after the fall. Again, the Sabbath was made for man. Men still exist. The Sabbath still belongs to man. Right? So it's not temporary. Second argument for why the... And these are the shorter. Second argument for why the Sabbath command still applies to us. Under the old covenant, you could be stoned to death for intentionally breaking the Sabbath. Numbers chapter 15, verses 32 through 36 tell us that. Now, I don't know of any ceremonial or temporary law of God that people were stoned to death for violating. I don't know of anything. Any kind of ceremonial law that you could get stoned to death for violating. The fact that you could receive capital punishment for intentionally breaking the Sabbath should tell us that this commandment has a moral aspect to it. You'd be stoned to death for adultery. You'd be stoned to death for murder, right? Committing gross sexual acts. And you could be stoned to death for breaking the Sabbath. And again, there's more things than that you could be stoned to death for, but that's what I was trying to get you that idea in your head. What I'm saying is that you didn't get stoned to death for eating shrimp, right? But you could get stoned to death for breaking the fourth commandment. That's what I'm getting at here, right? So this tells us that the Sabbath principle must be moral in nature because God doesn't just throw around the death penalty, right? He's not cruel. He's not a sadistic God. And the third argument for the Sabbath is the fact that the Ten Commandments are inherently special. They're special. They are the summary of all of God's moral law. They're directly tied to God in a special way. Just consider this. The Ten Commandments alone were directly spoken by God on Mount Sinai to his people. No other law did God speak directly to all of his assembled people aside from the Ten Commandments. It is the Ten Commandments alone that were written by the finger of God. We read that in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10. Written by God's own finger. And they alone were to be placed in the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place in the tabernacle. What I'm getting at is the Ten Commandments are special to our God. And I think that that's because they're tied to His character. Right? That's why they're so special to Him. And our God doesn't change. His nature doesn't change. So this moral principle that we are to rest and worship one day in seven doesn't change either. Furthermore, and this is just kind of personal, it doesn't, take, it doesn't make much sense to me that God would put a ceremonial commandment right in the dead middle of the moral law. That doesn't make any sense to me personally. And what I mean is that when we look at the Ten Commandments, we see that God is giving his people the foundation of his moral law that is to govern them. And it doesn't make sense to me that smack in the middle of that moral law, God would put a ceremonial law. Right? That just doesn't seem consistent with what we see out of the other Ten Commandments. But the thought that the Sabbath is ceremonial and a temporary commandment contradicts all of these truths that we find in Scripture. Right? The Sabbath is a principle that is for us today. But what about the day? What about the day? The Sabbath used to be on Saturday, but why would we now say that the Sabbath is Sunday for Christians? Right? Where do we get that from? Where do we get that idea? Well, again, the changing of the day, we get that from good and necessary consequence in the New Testament. Right? We see apostolic example of worshiping on Sunday. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So what we read in Acts chapter 20 
is that believers in Christ are gathering together on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, right? gathered together on the first day of the week to break bread. That is the Lord's Supper, right? partaking of the Supper to break bread together and to hear preaching from Paul. This is a corporate worship gathering. Dare I say it, it is a holy convocation on the first day of the week. And the Apostle Paul sanctions it. He participates in it. He agrees to it. So there's apostolic sanction that it's okay that we should be worshiping on the first day of the week. We see another example in chapter 16 of the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. In verse 2, it says, On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, Paul doesn't command it. Right? I'm not saying that. Paul doesn't command it. But he clearly assumes here that the church in Corinth is going to meet each Sunday for worship. He assumes that that's what they're going to be doing, and he encourages it. He doesn't tell them to stop. He says, hey, when you do that, I want you to do something else on that day as well. Right? So again, we have apostolic authority saying this is proper. We have apostolic example of worshiping on Sunday. And remember, these, these apostles were Jews prior to becoming Christians. And if they're worshiping on Sunday, then that means something must have happened. But stronger than either of these examples for why the day changed is found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. John writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now that possessive phrase, I can hear, follow me on this, that possessive phrase, Lord's day, like apostrophe S, is not found anywhere else in the New Testament. There's no other reference in the New Testament to Lord's day. So if we're going to figure out its meaning, what we do is we look to the earliest Christian sources. Right? And in the early 100s A.D., we find Christians writing about the Lord's Day. And it's always Sunday. The Lord's Day is, always, without exception, the Lord's Day is always Sunday in, early, in the earliest Christian writings. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily anything special on its face. But the fact that Lord's Day, that phrase, is possessive is really important. Right? The only other possessive form of Lord, right? and again in English, that apostrophe S... The only other phrase we have like that in the whole New Testament is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21, where Paul references the Lord's table, or the Lord's supper, or depending on your translation, the cup or table of the Lord, the supper of the Lord. Now, we would all agree that the Lord's table is something that was instituted by Christ himself. He instituted the Lord's supper, did he not? And it's unique it's holy, it's set apart, and it uniquely belongs to the Lord Jesus. We only get to participate it because he tells us to come and partake of his table. It's his supper. But that would then imply that this day, the Lord's day, Sunday, also uniquely belongs to Christ and was instituted by him. Again, it's the Lord's day. It's his day. But does that mean it's the Sabbath? Well, do you know how God talks about the Sabbath in the Old Testament? In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 3, God calls the Sabbath, my Sabbath, my Sabbath. And in Isaiah 58, 13, God calls it my holy day. So in the Old Testament, we see the Sabbath is God's day. And Sunday in the New Testament is called the Lord's day. So this tells us, I would say clearly and strongly, that the Sabbath principle we see established in the fourth commandment that is moral and perpetual now finds its application for the church on Sunday. Now finds its application on the Lord's Day, and we see that by example and by the grammar used about that day in the New Testament. 
right? But sometimes people will say, well, how can a creation ordinance be altered, right? How could the day be changed from Saturday to Sunday? And I thought this was beautiful as I studied this week. The only way that a creation ordinance can be altered is if there is a new creation. That's the only way is if there's a new creation. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus has done in his resurrection. He's made a new creation. He rose from the dead on a Sunday, and he rose as the first fruits of the new creation and glorified state that all believers are going to enjoy at the resurrection. Right? So just as God rested from his work of creation on the seventh day, and the Old Testament Sabbath commemorated that, so now we see that Christ, on the first day of the week, entered into his rest from his work of atonement and redemption for the people of God, and now our Lord's Day commemorates that. Right? What the Lord Jesus did in his death and resurrection was so significant that nothing less than the concept of a new creation can describe it. Right? Christ entered into the rest of resurrection glory on Easter morning, the first day of the week, and our Sabbath day reflects that. Right? So the case has been made, and I think it's been made pretty strongly, that the Sabbath principle is for all time, and now we as Christians observe the Lord's Day, or the Puritans called it the Christian Sabbath. But let's get a little bit more practical. I've been beating you over the brains for 30-some minutes with just like straight-up theology and like hermeneutic arguments and stuff like that, and I get that. I get that, but I don't want to just say something ever and tell you guys, you should believe me because I said it. I want to prove things to you from the scriptures. All right, but now let's get to a more practical level. Let's get to a heart level about this. Right? We know that God's law is for our good, do we not? Right? God is not arbitrary. His law is for our good. So what I want us to ask now is, what good is the Sabbath? What good is the Sabbath for us? What does God want us to see in this day that we would call it a delight? Because in Isaiah 58, 13, he says, if you call my Sabbath a delight. He wants us to delight in this day. What is it about this day that is a joy to us? I have four things. One, in this commandment, God is freeing you. He's freeing you. He's freeing you from your everyday cares. Right? Have, you ever, have you ever considered what a blessing it is that God tells us to stop what we would ordinarily do and just rest? Just stop. Cease from your labors. Just rest. So often I hear people talk about how hectic that their life is and that they wish that they could just have a day off. I just need a day off. Right? They just need time to rest and relax. But that's what God has given us on the Lord's Day. That's exactly what He's given us. And listen, from experience, and I don't argue from experience very often. I think it's usually weak, but I can't help but to do it here. There is something beautiful about looking at a list of things that need to be done and saying, nope. <laughs> looking at a list of things that need to be done and saying, not today. Today belongs to the Lord. And that stuff can wait. I will not be controlled by a list of to-dos. God is my God and he says rest. So it can wait until tomorrow. There's something blessed in that. There's beauty in that. We need rest and God knows that we need it. So in every week, what has he done? He has built us a day that we can rest our bodies and shake off the tiresome cares of our everyday life. That's a blessing for us. Second. The Sabbath should be a day of joy because of what we're privileged to do on it. What we're privileged to do on the Sabbath. We're privileged to worship God. 
Right? And I know that we can worship God every day. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you should compartmentalize your life. But to have a whole day to devote to the things of God is a privilege. The Puritans called the Lord's Day the market day of the soul. Right? You, go, you have market day that you go out and you get all the stuff you need for the week for your house. Right? It's the market day of the soul. On this day of devotion to God, what we do is we go and buy from our God without price and get what we need. We get what we need for our spiritual well-being. Right? To have a day that we can devote to prayer, reading the scriptures, listening to preaching, singing together, taking the supper, seeing baptisms, and just directing our whole selves in a Godward way is a blessing for us. Right? We need this kind of thing. We need this kind of rest and spiritual shot in the arm. Right? We're so prone to be consumed with this world that we forget about spiritual realities. Right? And that's what we do. is We get this reset on the Lord's day to focus on what matters. And if you don't see being able to worship God as a privilege, then please let me remind you of something. If you don't think that the Lord's day is a privilege, that you might devote the whole day to worship, I want you to remember that you were once not the people of God. You were once not the people of God. You were alienated from God and His covenant promises. You were hopeless in this world and without Christ. You didn't know the Word. You were just lost. And the wrath of God abided on you. You stood condemned by God. But now, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God calls you His own covenant people and gives you this great privilege to approach Him in a special way and worship Him. To devote a day to worshiping the one whom you used to, like formerly you could not worship him because you hated him. God changed your heart and has given you a heart that desires worship. Now this is a privilege for us. To be able to worship, especially corporately on the Lord's day, is a privilege. That's why Psalm 100 says, enter his gates with praise and enter his courts with thanksgiving. This is a privilege for us. We've been redeemed by the Lord Jesus and given this blessing. Not only that, but third, we're priv- not only are we privileged to be able to rest and worship, but the reminders that we get every week on the Lord's Day should be enough to make us look forward to the day with joy. Right? Every single week, just hear me out, every single week when Sunday comes, the people of God stop. We stop. We just stop. And with incredible intention, more so than the other days, we remember we remember. Remember is one of the most frequently repeated commandments in the Old Testament. Remember. Don't forget. Remember. And on this day, we remember that on resurrection morning, the first day of the week, Christ completed his saving work done for us. We remember that we are redeemed by our Lord and that as he was raised from the dead, so we will be as well. The Lord's Day is a weekly rest and reminder pointing us to Jesus Christ who is our eternal rest. As we rest from our labors and come to God and worship, we are reminded in a very real physical way that you and I have ceased from our tired work of trying to make ourselves right with God. In resting from your ordinary everyday work, you're reminded of that. I have ceased from spiritual work trying to make myself right with God. We're reminded that we've laid down everything that we once held dear and have rested ourselves in Christ. We're reminded that it's not our works or our working that makes us right with God, but it's Christ and what He has done. And just as certainly as Christ entered into His rest, so also are we made right with God by Him. The Sabbath reminds us that the work 
that was necessary in order for us to be saved has been done. So we rest and we're reminded that we are dependent upon someone else's works, <laughs> namely the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. And fourth, not only all of that, but as we honor the Lord's day, we're reminded that there is a coming rest. Each and every day, we are, we're striving against our sin, are we not? We strive, we toil, we make war on our flesh, always repenting and resubmitting ourselves to the Lord Jesus in faith. And each Lord's day reminds us of the coming eternal rest for the people of God. The author of Hebrews says, a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. Right? It's tiring work for us as we follow Christ. It's good work, it's joyous work, but it's tiring. And as we rest from our worldly labors and devote ourselves to worship on the Lord's day, we are reminded of that eternal Sabbath to come. Every Lord's day is a reminder of this truth, and every Lord's day is a foretaste of the eternal rest that we will inherit on the last day. This eternal rest in the presence of our God and Savior where we're going to worship Him in perfection and be in His immediate presence forever. I say all of these things because I want you guys to see the beauty of the fourth commandment. Right? That the, that the Sabbath day, the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's day, isn't just an arbitrary commandment from God. God's not arbitrary. He's not a jerk. Right? I want you to see that. This is a blessing from God for us. And if we see this day as a blessing, then we're going to look forward to each Lord's Day with eager anticipation and joy in our hearts. Right? That's how we should feel about the day. A great desire to rest and devote the day to God. You ever considered this? Holiday is a holy day, is it not? That's what holiday means. God has given us 52 holidays a year. He's given us a holiday every week that we might rest and devote ourselves to Him. But now we come to the question, and I, won't, I promise I won't be a ton longer. We come to the question most of you probably have wanted answered since the beginning of the sermon. What are we not allowed to do on the Lord's Day? What am I not allowed to do on Sunday? Right? Or more specifically, well, what is work? Right? We're not to work on the Sabbath. What is work? And listen to me. If that's all you're concerned about, you've missed the point entirely. If that's all that you're concerned about through listening to all of this, then you've missed the point. God is calling us away from and thereby freeing us from our normal routines and work so that we're free to focus on Him and eternal spiritual matters. Right? So before you consider what you're to abstain from, consider what you're privileged to do on the Lord's Day. Consider the privileges of the Lord's Day, those things that we just went over. What aren't you allowed to do? I'm not going to give you a list. I'm not. Thought didn't even cross my mind. I'm not going to give you a list of what you're allowed to do and not to do on the Lord's Day. That's what the Pharisees did, by the way. They saw the command and said, well, what is work? <laughs> right? What, what, how do I obey this commandment? And I'm not sure if it was necessarily out of a heart of piety or not. Right? That's what the Pharisees did. And their list became so ridiculous and so long and so burdensome that eventually the people of God grew to hate the Sabbath and view the Sabbath as a burden because the Pharisees put so many restrictions on it until the Lord Jesus came in and cleaned house and said, no, you've been misunderstanding the Sabbath and burdening the people with your lists. Now, I won't do that to you. I won't do that to you. But what we get, or rather the Bible doesn't give us a list of what qualifies as work and what doesn't. 
What we do get are some broad principles to govern what we do and don't do on the Lord's Day. And that's all that I'm going to give you. Right? Though, I will say this, if you need advice or you need help thinking through something, then obviously we'll talk. Right? I'm your pastor. I love you guys. You can talk to me. You can talk to Steve. We want to help you think through some of the finer points of this. And we love you. But here are the principles. And it's very short. And we already talked about them. The first is this. Rest from your worldly labors on the Lord's day. Take the day off. I mean, how often do you hear from the pulpit? Don't do anything. Like, I'm serious, serious. Like, how often do you hear that? Take the day off. As much as it depends upon you, take the day off. Talk with your employers if you need to and plead with them to have Sundays off because of your, this commandment. Plead with them. Sometimes people say, there's no way I could get that day, and they've not even talked to their employers. Talk to your employer if necessary. Rest from the chores that need done around your house. Take the day off, right? All that stuff can wait for the next day. Let today be a day of rest. I'm serious. Let this day be a day of rest. Now, it's weird at first, I'll admit. I've only been doing this stuff for about a year. It's weird. And you'll have to plan the rest of your week with more discipline. That's just how it's going to have to be. You're going to have to plan the week with more discipline and not lounge around at times you normally would, but you have to make the, the days matter, the six days you have. That's why the commandment says, six days you shall work so that you would be prepared to rest the seventh. But take the day and rest and let it be a holy rest from your ordinary work. And here's a subset to that that I don't have time to get into because I've already been up here for almost 50 minutes. Know that you're allowed to do works of necessity and mercy. I don't have time to get into those categories. But what I mean by necessity and mercy is you're allowed to do normal things that you need to do to get through a day. Right? Things like cook and eat and bathe and that kind of stuff. Right? You're allowed to do works of necessity and you're permitted to do works of mercy. Right? You're allowed to help people who are in need on the Sabbath. Right? You're allowed to help people and be merciful to other people. Right? So like cops, firefighters, nurses, someone, their basement floods, someone's broke down on the side of the road. You're allowed to do merciful works for people on the Sabbath. Right? Just look at the passages in the gospel, Google them, about how Jesus treated the Sabbath. He is the best example of works of necessity and works of mercy. But here's your second principle. Don't make other people work. And this is the one no one likes. Don't make other people work. Employers, don't work your employees on this day. Parents, give your children the day off from normal chores. And all of us, stop doing commerce. Stop going out and doing business on the, on the Lord's Day. Because when you go out and do business, you are making someone else work. When you go out to, to businesses, restaurants, whatever, on the Lord's Day, you're making someone work. And I know that even if we, the Christians, aren't out doing business with those people, that places are still going to be open. I get that. But that's not an excuse for us to break this commandment. Right? Just because people are going to break the law of God does not mean that we should encourage them or give them incentive to do so. As much as it depends upon us, we must strive to help and encourage others to keep the Lord's day holy. And third principle, spend your time in private and public worship of our God. Now people often say, I wish I had time to study this text. There's something that's really been eating at me that I read in the Bible. I wish I had time to study it. Or I wish I had time to catch up on my Bible reading. Or I, I really, I wish I had more time to devote to prayer or to read this book on doctrine or Christian living and, and so on and so forth. 
Well, what if I told you that God has graciously provided you a day that you can do all that stuff on? Like a whole day, believe it or not. You can do all those things that you said you've been meaning to get around to spiritually. A whole day. And it's gracious that he's given that. This day should be a day spent in worship. That's family worship, private worship, corporate worship, and everything that has to do with it. It's God's day is what I'm saying. Let him have it. Let him have the day. Let your day be pointed towards heaven. Now, I'm not saying that we're not allowed to do any kind of recreation on the Lord's day. I'm not saying. This is actually where I disagree with our confession. Straight up, I disagree with the 1689 on this. I'm not saying that we're not allowed to do recreation. I think recreation can be a legitimate form of rest, right? Like playing games and stuff like that. I think that can be a real form of rest. But listen to me. As you consider recreation and playing on the Lord's day, I want you to think hard about how you use the day. Right? As you celebrate the Lord's day, I want you to answer something. Just in general, really. Is today like any other day for you? Just with one exception that on it you go to church for an hour and a half? Ask yourself that question. Or is the Lord's Day a day of devotion to the Lord Jesus? A day of celebration of what Christ has done? Is it a day of playing and wasting time where you try to squeeze Christ in for an hour and a half? Or is it a day of worship? Is it a holy day to the Lord? And again, I'm not saying you can't recreate, but you know if today is a day of worship for you or not. Or if it was a day of work and Netflix followed by a church service. I'm just keeping it real. The more we delight in God, the more willing we're going to be to keep his day holy. And if we have a heart that just wants to honor him, a lot of these practical application questions about what is work and all that, those kind of questions are going to work themselves out if you really want to honor God on his day. Those questions of what really is work, you'll answer those yourself. Now, I'm not the Holy Spirit for you guys, so I don't want you guys to have a list that I gave But these are the principles that I see that are to guide our attempts to keep the Sabbath. And if you're thinking, that sounds like too much. To devote a whole day to rest and worship, that sounds like too much. Let me put something to you that Phil Riken said, and this hurts. Maybe our problem is that we're bored with God. Maybe that's why we don't want to honor this commandment is because we're bored with him and we think that we can't spend a day in worship and abstaining from our worldly labors. But God has blessed us with this commandment, and that's what I hope you see the most. This day is good for us, it's good for mankind, and it points us back to Christ's finished work in our place. It points us forward to the eternal Sabbath that is to come. Right? It's a holy reset button on us for the week where we focus ourselves on God and prepare ourselves for the battles that are going to come in the days after. So as we close, let me encourage you to do exactly what the fourth commandment says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And may God grant us help so that we can do just that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your law is good. We thank you for the goodness of the Sabbath command. We ask that you'd help us to obey it. Lord, none of us are going to obey this commandment perfectly. Most of us have broken Sabbaths countless times. But Lord, I pray that you'd sanctify us on this day. That you'd help us to count the Sabbath day as a delight. And help us to see what a joy it is and how much it points us forward to the Lord Jesus Christ who is our rest. 
We thank you and we praise you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.